0: what is going on everyone welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast Brennan here on the show we're waiting on Damo to get in we were having some complications with discord and now we moved over to zoom so we're trying to get everyone in here and on the same page but we don't want to keep our special guests waiting too long but welcome back to the podcast Uh, Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington Chase what's going on man
1: I'm doing well, man. Good to be back on with you. And I am i myself am wondering where Damo is because I actually have a bone to pick with him about a tweet he sent. So I'm hoping that he comes back on so that I can explain.
2: Ooh,
0: all right. All right. Well, it, it involves
1: hopefully... it involves a spoiler for a show that I watch.
0: Oh, OK. OK, cool, cool, cool. So hopefully we'll <laughs> get into all that uh, a little bit later. But I got to ask you, and this doesn't have to be too long, because um, I'm sure you've talked about it a bunch of times through articles and being on other podcasts, uh, TV, uh, but, but really quick, what's kind of been your, uh, your, your recap for the, the season so far? Is it acceptable in hindsight? Is it disappointing? How would you kind of classify how things have gone?
1: I would definitely say disappointing. I think that's a good word to use. Um, you know, after the uh, uh, offseason where they made a lot of changes, um, I think everyone thought that the team had a chance to be better. Like, I, I didn't think their ceiling was higher, but I thought their floor was higher. And granted, they haven't, you know, bottomed out to 17 and 32. But right now, if you look at the standings, they have a worse winning percentage than they did last year uh, with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal and not much depth. And I thought the depth of the coaching change overall would make them a better team. And, you know, they're trying to navigate a, a more difficult Eastern conference. So that's a factor. Um, but just the way that things have transpired after that 10 and three start, um, they're not as good of a, sh- a three point shooting team as I thought they'd be. They're not anything close to the defensive team. I thought they would be. So I think disappointment is definitely a good word for it.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I'm trying to be, realistic because when we talked at the beginning of this and I think the last time we had Jan was um, at the beginning of it but before the season started and, I, and my prediction for the season was kind of you know th- there'll be a play-in team you know nothing will be um, like they'll be that good or anything like that and certainly the, the way they started off and the way they crashed down I think you could argue is a um, tremendous disappointment indeed and as I talked We finally got our man Damo on here. Uh, Damo, what's going on, dude?
1: I don't know if he can hear us yet. (laughs) That's okay. He's still trying to get set up, but it's all
0: right. I'm sure he'll be on here in a second. But um, so piggybacking off that kind of, we've heard about the locker room problems all year. Um, We've seen some stuff on the sideline and that sort of thing. Um, We've heard mixed messages, maybe some teasing about how uh, Wes likes to run plays and there's just little stuff, but do you know what the general feeling inside the locker room has been on first year coach Wes Unsell junior?
1: I think there's a lot of veteran players who, um, you know, have been around long enough to be able to sense when a guy when there's a bit of a learning curve. And of course there was going to be one with a guy who hadn't been a head coach before. I think Wes Unsell junior is going to be a, a really good head coach in this league. And he was as prepared as you could possibly be for that, that uh, post, but he hadn't done it before. And I think it's one of the things that have kind of come to light for me, the way the season has transpired about, you know, the wizards wanted to win right away to a certain degree but they took a bit of a risk by handing a team with those expectations over to a rookie head coach. I think they also took a risk by, um, you know, putting a lot on Spencer Dinwiddie, who was coming off a torn ACL. You know, right now they're starting two players who are coming back from torn ACLs, Spencer Dinwiddie and Thomas Bryant. Like that's pretty unusual. And it was all supposed to work um, not necessarily overnight, but certainly by now you would hope that things had kind of clicked. So, West Unsell Jr., I I think he has respect from a lot of players, as much respect as a guy who's only coached 50-some-odd games can have. Um, But certainly, you know, I think the veterans have grown a little frustrated with how how he hasn't sorted out the roles yet, and you've seen some guys talk about that publicly. Um, Montrez Harrell, the other day, you know, he had those great quotes about how the mood sucks with the team. But he also said something that was arguably more interesting about how they don't make any adjustments in the game. He's like, we go in with a game plan and we stick to it. We don't make adjustments. And, you know, that was probably not a great reflection on Wes Unsell Jr. So I think he's going to be a good coach. I think he already is a pretty good coach, but he's still got some to learn because no one can step into a complicated job like that and be great at it immediately.
0: Sure. Um, Damo, can you hear us now? Are you good? Yeah. Can you can you hear
1: me? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Damo, by the way, I I said this at the top of the show, man. I had a tweet of yours that I had a bone to pick with. Uh, You kind of had a semi spoiler about Ozark that you tweeted that kind of I was watching the whole season.
2: Yeah, I did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But hey, I was I was happy to find out because I thought it was a spoiler like, oh, man, that person must have died. And they didn't end up dying, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised. But I watched that whole; it was the first part of the last season, right? I watched yeah. the whole thing with that tweet in mind, being like, "Oh man, did he spoil this for me?"
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ruth uh, was. I, I like Ruth, but yeah. Oh, she's a great character. Yeah, she plays that role perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, moving on the discussion here. So, Don, the only thing we missed is we got his uh, quick recap about things and have gone so far, and we just touched on um, Wes Unseld a little bit, but moving on to Tommy Shepard here. I, I got it, and this maybe ties a little bit more into Ted, too, but we hear constantly about it. everyone makes the joke all the time that we're going to be picking ninth, because it seems like we can never be good enough, but also like not bad enough to, to where you can probably get a couple top three picks and fully rebuild. So what I know that they're trying to build around Beal, but given that his contract is probably going to be up because I doubt he accepts that player option of his. So what, what exactly at this point are, are they trying to do? And more importantly, uh, do they think that Beal is going to ultimately commit beyond this season, or maybe that's a little bit questionable And that's why we're hearing about the Sabonis and Grant now.
1: Well, I think they're trying to follow a plan that they set a few years back, which was keep their draft picks, uh, develop young players, create salary cap flexibility. And, you know, to a certain extent, they've done that. They haven't done like an A-plus job at it, but they've made progress. It's just been incremental. I think even though their winning percentage right now is worse than it was last year, they've got more tools to work with in terms of building the roster than they had, you know, call it six, seven months ago. Um, The problem is, you know, you're in year three of this revamped front office. And at some point, the timeline was always going to need to catch up to Bradley Beal's own timeline. He was patient as they went through sort of a retooling phase that ended up taking a little bit longer than I think even the front office wanted to remember Ted Leonsis, when they announced the new front office said, why, why can't it be quick? Um, it hasn't been quick. And I think we're kind of reaching a point in Bradley Beal with his actions and his words is reaching a point where they need to speed up the timeline. And that's kind of conflicting with what the front office has favored uh, these last few years, which is drafting young players and developing them. And, Um, I think it's illustrated a a few things to me. One is that that takes time. These guys don't figure it out right away. Like Denny Abdi is 21 years old. You know, he might be really good when he's 26, but that's five years from now. And Bradley Beal will be 33. So they got to match up the timeline. And I think the front office is going to have to figure out a way to do that without mortgaging the future too much, because a lot of these guys were around when Ernie was in charge and they learned hard lessons about, you know, trading your picks and, uh, you know, for short-term help, like guys like Martin Gortat and Markeith Morris, you can really limit the ceiling of your team. So I think that's the conflict they're dealing with right now.
0: Uh, Damo, you got anything I want to give you a chance to chime in here?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's kind of, you know, just piggybacking off what Chase just said, like it, it's kind of now the, the rubber rubber meets the road time. Um, for sure. You know, you kind of you gain the flexibility by getting off the 41 million uh, contract and now you have some tradable assets and you know do you make the trade uh you know a trade or multiple trades to kind of get rid of some some of the redundancy in the roster and and kind of set an identity and path forward or do you just stand pat and and you know go into the draft take another 19 year old and, and and hope for the best um I think they gotta I think at this point they gotta pick a direction which way they want to go. Um, And then, and then just go full steam ahead with it.
1: And and Brendan, um, I didn't mean to not answer the second part of your question about whether I think Brad will stay.
0: Oh, sure.
1: I think he will. Um, I do think now and going back to the summer, he's more serious about putting pressure on the front office. than he has been in the past. I think he's more serious about considering his options, but I think, you know it's going to come to the summer, no matter what they do at this trade deadline, and it's going to be tough for Bradley to Beal to pass up being the highest-paid player in NBA history, right? I mean, he's a third-team All-NBA guy at his peak, and he has a chance to get more money than anyone. And he's the face of the franchise, and he's got all this influence and power and control, and he's not going to find that anywhere else. So. They've built a team around him that I think is pretty good. It's obviously not good enough to be like a contender with him at the top, but they've made progress with the roster around him. You know, he likes playing here. He likes living here. um, And he's also only 28 years old. Uh, My guess, and I think it's there's just so many factors to think this way, he'll take the money and then, yeah, maybe when he's 30, he can reconsider his options if they don't make much progress. But is he really going to give up all that he has here? including an extra 60 million that the Wizards can offer that another team can't, you know, when it comes put, when push comes to shove, I personally doubt it, but we'll see.
0: And I think you made a good point back there um, a while ago, when you talked about the, the, the matching of the timelines and how Tommy perhaps is a, is a better GM and based on his actions, is probably better for a rebuilding situation more than a team that's trying to quickly put something together and we've seen that with the, the valuing of the former first round picks. And we can talk about um, Mo Wagner, Jerome Robinson, um, Daniel Gafford, which happily turned into an extension. But, I mean, a lot of the time uh, when you take flyers on, this guy, on these guys, it's not going to work. I mean, th- these teams are trading these guys away for a reason. And, and if you want to keep trying to, to do that and, and find your diamond in the rough and get your steel in small trades like that, that's fine. But when you're talking about a team that needs to try and find a way to win and try to do that quickly, or you're going to lose the, your best player. I mean, it's, it is a little bit conflicting. And I think that's where guys like Denny and Rui come in. And certainly the fan base doesn't want to lose them. But for me, it's always been like, and Damo to an extent with this, um, I don't want to speak too much for him because he may differ a little bit, but it's like, they aren't helping you do anything right now. And with Beal, it's about right now. And I'm not worried about fitting my future around some 23, 24 and 21 year old who have not really proven much of anything. I know what Beal can be at his best. Um, I don't know what those other guys can be at their best. So I would rather put it together around him and try and make some moves. And this is the point of getting assets and tradable contracts, right? Like Montrose Harrell, KCP. The point of getting guys like that and along with Rui and Denny isn't to just hold on to them. They're called assets because they're assets that can help you bring in a bigger piece, ideally. And now that's not going to bring in a Carl Anthony Towns or anything like that. But I think Sabonis at 19 mil is uh, is pretty fair. And we'll get into Sabonis in a second. But and Damo, I'll kick it back over to you for a second, just to, uh, if you wanted to follow up on anything I said. But um, I mean, to me, that's that's kind of the the it's hard to pick what the front office and the owner actually want to do because it's like they're living in two different worlds. And for the longest time we've been saying they need to pick a lane. They need to pick a lane and it seems like they just really haven't.
2: Yeah. I mean I, I said this on Twitter earlier. Um I think it's almost identical to the situation the Chicago Bulls were in last year. Um, before they made the Vucevic trade, they were 19 and 24. They were out of the play in. Um, they made the trade, um, you know, and at the time their youth was kind of, you know, questionable. They had Kobe White. They had just took Pat Williams. They had Wendell Carter Jr. Um, some of the other youth that they, they, I think they had just traded us Gafford. I can't remember if that happened after or before the Vucevic deal, but um, yeah, they were kind of just in a flux point in, you know, it was questions about whether Zach Levine was, was a winner and whether he was going to re-sign and stay committed to the Bulls because he's due for a contract now. And then you fast forward, you know, a lot of moves in the summer and, and acquisitions and trades, and now they're sitting number two in the East. Um, and kind of all of that smoke has has gone away about him, you know, being committed to the Bulls. So uh, I think the Wizards are in a similar point, not cap-wise uh, financially, but I think they're at a similar point in their timeline with their star at the top of the roster and you know what they're going to do with their young guys and and, and some of the assets that they have
1: I think that's a, a really good point and one that I've thought about before as well I think if it worked if, if the Wizards were to get Sabonis, and it worked it would look a lot like what the Chicago Bulls did because Vucevic and Sabonis are similar players right they're walking double doubles good passers not great three-point shooters necessarily all-stars but not superstars and, you know, neither guy's a perfect player. But what the Bulls did is they they got a few all-stars together and then they just added pieces on top of that. And as someone personally who is kind of anti-tanking, and I've always I have strong opinions about uh, like tanking and the process being fool's gold in the NBA. I personally love their path because they tanked for years, really didn't get much of anything for it and then just started getting aggressive with trades, and they built a contender basically all with players that they didn't draft, right? Uh, Levine, they didn't draft. Uh, Lonzo Ball, DeRozan, Vucevic, they put together this contending core with guys that they didn't tank for. Um, Now, one thing that should be noted if you contrast the Bulls with the Wizards is I think that in its simplest form, the reason why Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie haven't been a good backcourt is because they're not a good shooting backcourt. Uh Dinwiddie is very inefficient as far as point guards go. He's basically like Russell Westbrook. And this year's percentages have been, you know, not even where they usually are. And Bradley Beals, of course, his percentages have dropped. Meanwhile, you compare them to the Bulls. And those guys this year are shooting better than Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball. So three-point shooting matters. And I think that's how you can fit a guy like DeMar DeRozan in. So that would be the path. I agree with Damo, but um, you know, the Wizards, if, if they got Sabonis, that's the path they could follow, but they would have to add shooting and defense like Chicago did.
0: Sure. And I, and I think that kind of goes into like, because the, the theme on Wizards Twitter right now is bringing in Sabonis isn't going to make a second round team tomorrow. And to me, it's like, well, if you trade for Sabonis, either way, it's not about this season anymore. I mean, I feel like, you know, you could still be a competitive first round team. I feel like if, if it gets to that point, but to me, if you trade for a guy like Sabonis I and mean, you go into the offseason and you say, if you don't have to trade Kuzma, for example, and you have Kuzma, Sabonis and Beal and you say, OK, we have those three. Now, how do we fit around those guys? How do we get some three point shooting? How do we get some decent perimeter defenders? They don't have to be guys that are well known for anything. It can be guys that are cheap and are maybe only good at one or two things, but they need to be good at one or two things that complement uh, the, the core of your roster. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, before we get into questions, some people did have some questions for you, Chase. But so let's get into Sabonis, right? Um, before we get into Sabonis, let's just quickly touch about uh, touch on this because this has still been a thing that's hovering around, and I'm not as high on this as I once was. Uh, Jeremy Grant. So. How serious would you say the interest is compared to Sabonis? And do you think that that move would be more likely than Sabonis at this point? How would you kind of classify that whole Jeremy Grant ordeal?
1: Um, I think the Wizards are interested in both guys. They've shown interest in both. Um, I think Grant, you know, their interest in him dates back further. But the, the asking price for both players is going to be high but I think you're probably more willing to pay the asking price for Sabonis because he's a two-time all-star. Sure. Jeremy Grant, um, terrific defender. We all know the connections between him and the franchise, him and Wes Unseld Jr. But, you know, as he's become this 20-point scorer in Detroit, you know, he's done so as more of a volume scorer. Now, on the other hand, as far as what the Wizards need, like defensively, if they want to double down on defense, then certainly you could make a better case for Grant than you can Sabonis. Um, so I think the Wizards are checking in on both guys, um, but the the asking price for both, I think, is high. And in the case of Detroit and Jeremy Grant, it might require some draft capital that I don't know if the Wizards can produce at this point. They've got this weird situation, as we all know, um, with their draft picks, where they've really they've only committed one first round pick and it may end up being two second round picks. Right. But there's so many protections involved in that pick that they attached with John wall to get Russell Westbrook. That sort of creates this illusion. Like they don't have any first round picks for the foreseeable future. Once that pick conveys the wizards will be in a really good spot in terms of trade making their next trade. It's just, they got to wait until it does convey. Um, So I, I think it's, Fairly equal in terms of their interest in both those players, but the fit for what they could offer might be better with Indiana. And that's not to say that they can pull off a deal for Sabonis because um, just put your, I would say to any Wizards fans who who want Sabonis, put yourself in the Pacers shoes and like, would you accept what the Wizards can offer for a guy who's 25, two-time all-star only making 19 million for the next few years and hasn't asked out. And also the Pacers are already losing. They have the fifth worst record in the NBA. It's not like they have to get rid of him to get a top draft pick. So I think if you just consider all the factors and the fact that Kevin Pritchard is the same guy who traded Paul George for not one but two guys who ended up becoming all-stars, Sabonis and Victor Oladipo, um, you know, it's going to be tough to pull off that deal. I think whether the Wizards are willing to give up what it takes or even have what is required Uh, To get a guy like that, so I think it's going to be tough to get either player. And long story short, I think the interest is fairly equal in both. But I think Bradley Beal would love to play with Demontis Sabonis. That's what I hear. So maybe that would tip the scales in his favor.
0: Uh, Do you think that the what the Magic did last year at the deadline may kind of affect any offers that the Pacers may get for a guy like Sabonis immediately? we talked about the the Wizards wanting in on Uchevich last season, and it, it seems like in hindsight that that's something that the Wizards could have put together to, to make a competitive offer, you know, in some situations at the time, if not better. And so do you think that given that, do you think that that has any effect on the Wizards maybe having an advantage at the deadline this year? Do you think that, the Pacers will just look at that as well. Orlando is just being Orlando and getting what they could.
1: I think it could serve as the framework for such a deal because they are uh, pretty similar players. Um, You know, Sabonis though is younger. And it's a good one to look at just because, you know, the bulls did give up quite a bit. Like they gave up multiple first round picks and Wendell Carter Jr. Who, um you know, has not lived up to the billing as a top five pick or whatever he was, but or he was a seventh overall pick. But he's he had also kind of emerged as a guy who, was, who would at least give you close to a double-double every night. And, you know, the Bulls didn't see stardom in his future, but compare him to the young players on the Wizards roster right now. Um, you know, Denny Avdia, Rui Hachimura, Kispert, Thomas Bryant, the guys that they could technically trade – have all shown you something, but you could argue Wendell Carter Jr. was a little bit further along than at least most of those guys, if not all of them. So, if I feel like Chicago gave up a lot for Vucevic and it was very risky and it's ended up working out. But, um, you know, if you're going to give up something similar for Sabonis, that's uh, that's going to cash the Wizards out with pretty much all their assets if they could even put together a, a move like that because they don't have the first round picks. And you could argue that, like I said, Wendell Carter Jr. was better than any of their young players are right now.
0: Um, Before we get final thoughts on Sabonis, are there any like under the radar names that you've been hearing that we could look out for? I know there was a post the other day about Jalen Smith, which seems on par with what Tommy wants to do, but in terms of trying to put together a competitive and winning roster would probably irritate me a little bit uh, depending on what you would have to give up. But, are there any other names like that that could pop up in the coming days?
1: I think a name that that could be interesting to watch is Miles Turner. Actually, um, you know, Wode yesterday tweeted after the Pacers traded away Karis LeVert that you know Sabonis and Miles Turner are in trade talks, and essentially they could be next. Well, if you're the Wizards and you're calling the Pacers about Sabonis, and you know you get sticker shock at the price tag the conversation is probably naturally going to lead to Miles Turner, right? I mean, he's making about the same amount of money as Sabonis. He's the same age. They're they're like three months apart, both 25 years old. Um, but he's got one less year on his deal. And he's also not a two-time all-star. So you would think that you could get him for cheaper than you can Sabonis. He's not as good as Sabonis, but what he does fits perfectly with what the Wizards need, more so than Sabonis. You're just talking about immediate needs, right? He's the best shot blocker in the NBA. Like three out of the last four years, including this year, he's led the league in blocks per game. Now, he's not the best rim protector. That's a slightly different thing. But in terms of just blocking shots, he's really good. And I was talking to someone the other day at the Wizards game, an agent who's just a longtime league insider, and he made a good point to me that, um, the wizards have three solid centers, but it's questionable if any of them as a starting center in this league, at least at this point. Like, I think sure. we've seen Thomas Bryant thrive in the backup role. They put him in the starting lineup. Not as good. Daniel Gafford was amazing as a backup last year becomes a starter. Not as good. We all know Montrose Harrell. That's his role. They could upgrade that position in the starting lineup and Harrell would give them shot block or I'm sorry, uh, miles Turner would give them shot blocking. And he's also a pretty good three-point shooter. He can shoot like 35% from three. So if you're telling me I could get him for cheaper, maybe even substantially cheaper than Sabonis, and if you just add it all up, the Pacers probably have more incentive to trade him because he's only got one year left on his deal. I, I'm thinking maybe Miles Turner is the guy instead of Sabonis. What do you guys think about that?
2: Dom, I'll let you take this. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, I was... uh I was a big fan of, of Miles Turner. I thought he was the perfect, perfect five to put next to uh, John Wall when, when John Wall was here. Mm-hmm. Um, that can block shots, he can rim run a little bit, and he can stretch out to the three-point line. Um, my, my, my concern with him is his rebounding. Um, because, you know, for a guy as big as he is, his rebounding numbers are well below par uh, but I, I wonder if that's a, a case of just how he's used offensively. He's a he's much more out on the perimeter shooting jumpers and threes while they have Sabonis in the paint, kind of garbling up all the rebounds. So I wonder if if he was here, he was playing more of a traditional, you know, five man role here with his re- rebounding numbers go up. But yeah, if the price is is substantially lower than the Sabonis price, um Yeah, it kind of combines Gafford and Bryant's skill sets into a big that you can see as a true starter. Because I do agree, it's kind of like we have three centers, but you really don't have one because none of them are really bona fide starters. And you kind of see that when they match up against the elite bigs or even not even the elite bigs. I think when they match up against... You saw a matchup against Steven Adams and it was just you know, it was, it was like Varsity versus JV there. Like, I mean, he was just moving guys out the way, like, like it was just easy. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could see that too. That, that would make sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, when you go back and you talk there about uh, Miles Turner sitting on the perimeter and taking jumpers, so Miles Turner does technically play the four and guards fours and Sabonis does play the five and guard five. So that could be a little bit of the case there, but um, definitely a little bit interesting I don't know how much cheaper Miles Turner could be but I mean I definitely would still be interested in that I mean look at the end of the day the they, they need to cash in some guys for me um, to make a big move but Chase, okay, so before we move on to the questions from uh, Twitter what would you say the percentage chances of a Sabonis trade getting done
1: Ooh, that's yeah. a really good question no problem <laughs> I would say, um, let's say 40%. I think it's less than 50 just because I think the motivation is there. I think the pressure is there. Um, but coming up with a commensurate offer I think is going to be difficult. Um, I think the Wizards, it, it might not even be possible for them to come up with an offer good enough to convince Indiana to trade Sabonis and trade him now. Um, it just seems to me like if I were Indiana, I'd want more or I just wouldn't trade him at all. Like you don't need to trade Sabonis. Um, he's only 25. He's under team control on a solid deal. Like right now you got the fifth best odds. Like what if you go into the draft and you get Jaden Ivy? Um, and then all of a sudden you have like an electric young guard to pair with Sabonis moving forward. You know, you could, you could turn things around pretty quickly there. You'd have an all-star and a guy who could be a star someday. Um, so if I were the Pacers, I'd hold out, and I think Kevin Pritchard will do that. So I think it's less than 50, and it's more because of the, the asking price and the price tag than anything.
0: Sounds good. Um, Dom, you got anything before we turn to questions?
2: Yeah, I, I I was actually expecting a much lower number than 40. Yeah, um, I was too. I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I mean that that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, putting the Pacers Pacers GM hat on, I just it's it's tough to think why they would do that now. At least not wait until at least waiting until the summer to see where they 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 sit in the lottery. because um, if they what if they get the number one pick, you know, and I, and I'm looking at the top of the draft, I think all of the guys sitting at the top top three are power forwards, big big men. So like, are yeah. you going to put another big next to Sabonis or do you maybe move off of one of those guys to try to balance the roster out I'm not sure I don't I don't know but um yeah it wouldn't make sense the most sense for them to have to trade him now especially with his contract and then he's only 25
0: um one last quick thing before we get to
2: uh questions Chase I
0: just wanted to kind of get your opinion on uh Tommy's free agencies so far because it seems like Every big contract that they dish out seems to be a wash in a sense, and specifically with Dinwiddie and Bertans, and I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on that. Was there maybe pressure for him to, to do those sort of moves, or if he had it his way, maybe he would have done something else? Or I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on um, his free agency classes so far, but particularly those two guys.
1: Well, the Davis Bertans one, obviously in hindsight, um, it would have been smart to trade him at that first trade deadline. The Wizards didn't trade him. They were trying to get um, a first round pick and a guy, a quality player who's on a rookie contract. That was the asking price, and no one ever met it, understandably, because that's a pretty high asking price, right? So they re signed him, and the whole hope was to continue playing. Um, an offensive style where three point shooting was going to be really important and pace was going to be important. And they've kind of switched gears and, you know, Davis Bertans hasn't held up his end of the bargain, but it's also not been a great fit. So that obviously has not looked great in hindsight. And I think, um, you know, the people who at the time said you can't give that money to someone who only does one thing were absolutely correct. They were proven right. And that deal looks terrible right now. He's not even in the rotation. And I think the Wizards would trade him if they could, but I don't know if they can't. Dinwiddie, I think Bradley Beal really liked him. I don't know if it was like a pressure situation where Tommy felt like he had to sign him. But obviously taking a guy who was coming off a torn ACL, putting him into the starting lineup and asking him to play a slightly different role than he was used to was risky. And they're seeing how risky that was. He was great in the beginning, but you know, he's taking his lumps now and um, that deal doesn't look great either. Um, you know, free agency, I think those contracts definitely hold them down a little bit. Um, and it's reflective of a longstanding trend with the wizards where they haven't been good in free agency. You know, they have some wins here and there like signing Howell Neto last year was great. and Robin Lopez was a good signing. Like there's some minor moves that they've made that have been good, but free agency has definitely been a tough road for them. And it's, it's difficult in general, you know, going through this whole process. Now they're in year three, it's made it even more clear to me that like free agency matters, the draft or trading matters, but really it all comes down to how well you pick in the draft. Like, especially if you're a team like the wizards, you know, the other day I saw someone post a clip from Sam Presti with the thunder. And he said that, you know, drafting and player development is the lifeblood of a team like the thunder. And what he meant is they're not the Lakers. They're not going to sign LeBron James in free agency. But the same could be applied to the Wizards, right? And if you draft poorly, you're probably going to have a bad team. If you draft mediocre, you're probably going to have a mediocre team. And if you draft really well and hit some home runs, then you're going to have a good team. And they've probably been a little bit closer to mediocre. Like, I think they've drafted well, considering, you know, ninth overall, they found uh, Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia. And then 15th, they picked Corey Kisper. All three of those guys I think are going to be rotation players for a long time in the league, but... They haven't had a home run yet, and that's why they're kind of a middling team. So as much as we would focus on free agency and that matters, um, I think it ultimately comes down to I judge the front office more and more just by the draft history. And, you know, if you draft guys who were B's or C pluses, then you're probably going to be a B or C plus team.
0: Sure. And then. Real quick about Dinwiddie, is there any noise with him right now? I, there have been several reports saying that the Wizards are looking into trading him, and Cleveland was a po- was a possibility, but now that they got Karis laver perhaps that limits the market a little bit, but do you know if they're looking into actively trying to trade Dinwiddie, or are they just like, yeah, we're going to keep him. If someone offers him, then maybe we'll talk about it.
1: No, I I think they would definitely part with him. I think he's in a group of players, and there's quite a few of them that they have where they're available. You know, maybe they're not calling every team in the league, shopping them aggressively, but you know, I think Montrezl Harrell, Thomas Bryant are in that group. Um, Davis Perton certainly could be had, although I don't think uh, you know he's gaining much interest from other teams. The Wizards are uh, in a spot where they're having a disappointing year, as we've talked about. And they've got very few players on the roster that are untouchable. So I think a lot of guys are available and Dinwiddie's one of them. I think they recognize the poor fit and if they have to hold on to him, I think they, they feel like they can make some tweaks and make it work. But yeah, I, th- I think they would part with him. No question.
0: And if they keep him, do you see an eventual bench role for him possibly, or you think as long as he's on the team, he'll be the starter?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. You know, um, I always go back to uh, in the preseason, someone asked him, uh, what do you think your role is going to be? And he kind of laughed it off the question. He was like, well, you can just kind of look at what people are paid, and that's what their roles are. So So. he he definitely sees himself as a starter. Um, I could see – I feel like he might be better in a backup role or if they got more of a pass-first traditional point guard – maybe someone who could shoot, then, you know, you could have Dinwiddie and Beal off the ball on kind of a three-guard lineup because Dinwiddie is is really big for a guard. I mean, he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Um, I think he can guard some threes. Um, he's, not, he's never been a great shooter. I'm not looking for him to become, you know, like some great three-point shooter or efficient scorer. I think defense is going to be a big thing for him moving forward because he was a pretty good defender in, in Brooklyn, and I think that's something that the Wizards were hoping to get more out of from him coming over and he just hasn't been very consistent in that regard. And, you know, maybe coming off a surgically repaired knee, isn't the the most ideal thing. If you're going to be relied upon heavily defensively, because it's already hard enough to stay in front of NBA point guards.
0: Sure. All right. Let's move on to some questions here so we can get chase out of here. Um, Number one from at the voice of Evan, what the wizards both having a losing record and only being four and a half games uh, behind the six seed which direction do you believe the team should go at the deadline
1: that's a that's a good one um I think they should go forward um but I think they and I've been saying this for a while I, I might have said this the last time I was on this podcast like we've talked about picking a lane I think the lane should be aggressively going forward like hit the gas make a big trade mortgage the future a little bit and you know, you got Bradley Beal. He's, he was all NBA last year. He's 28 years old. You're paying him a lot of money. Like you're kind of stuck in the middle and I'm more in favor of building around him than tearing it all down. So that's what I would do. Um, whether it's Sabonis or someone else, I think generally speaking, that's what they should do.
0: Okay. Um, at a guy underscore VM three, seven, zero. Why? Why? Ted is so insisting in staying mediocrity and is not willing to take risks for a higher ceiling outcome in a rebuild. Uh, the arena is already half empty. Fans are tired of seeing eight seed chase and seem ready to rebuild more than ever. Um, do you see that possibly being a change, I guess, in their direction? I know you just said we could go, you would like to see us go forward, but do you think that it could be, I guess in the wizards plans too maybe try and reboot, especially since they, they keep doing what they say they are not trying to do.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I I know the quote everyone references, which is we will never, ever tank. And that sounded like forever. Right. Um, (laughs) But I don't think he's against tanking forever. I mean, I talked to him over the summer. Uh, Was it? No, I guess it was the summer before I interviewed him uh, over the phone about John wall. And, you know, he ended up going into some big picture stuff about his just a philosophy about building a team. And he said that even though, you know, it didn't really work out with John wall, Bradley Beal and Otto Porter, he still believes in building teams through the draft because when he took over the wizards, he said that he did a bunch of research about how NBA title teams are built over the course of history and most of the best teams were built through the draft. And, you know, to a certain extent, it's true. Like, you know, the Spurs drafted Tim Duncan, the Bulls drafted Michael Jordan, the Lakers drafted uh, Kobe Bryant, um, you know, to, to, in the, you know, and the, the Warriors drafted Steph Curry, that, that, that is true. So I think he still believes in building through the draft, but, you know, there's another quote that from him years ago, I forget which year it was. I think it was like, one of the years that the Wizards were in the lottery throughout their rebuild. And he mentioned how the team had lost money the year before they were one of the f- few teams, I think in the NBA that had lost money. So I think when you have even a mediocre team, when you have players like Bradley Beal and Rui Hachimura and Denny Abdia who have followings to a certain degree, uh, then you can be financially stable. If you go to the playoffs, you make some money. So I think that's always, you know, a consideration, um, And I think Bradley Beal, Ted Leontes, sees as someone that throughout the context of franchise history is pretty rare and how good he is. And they don't want to let him go because they know how hard it is to find just a player as good as him. So I think those are all factors. I don't think he's against going through that rebuild through the draft phase someday. I just don't think he's ready to go back there because I think it was a tough time for the franchise going through the rebuild that they had where they got Wall then Vesely, then Beal, then Porter. It took a long time, and I don't think that it, they did very well financially throughout that time, and I, I don't think he wants to go through that experience again anytime soon.
0: Sean, at I Don't Sing One, what has been your favorite moment this season covering the Wizards?
1: Oh, you know what? I think that's an easy answer. I think it's Jaime Achenique, uh making his debut. Sure. Um I was able to get to the arena early that day and spot him and sort of break the story that he had been called up. So that was cool for me. And I had talked to him in the preseason because it, when the go-go were in training camp, I went to go-go training camp and I wrote a feature on him and his story was amazing. So i kind of known what was going on um, and what it would mean if he made his debut. I don't think any of us realized how cool it would be in his post-game press conference where, you know, we ask him the first question and he's immediately crying. Like he was so emotional. It meant so much to him, his family and his country to be the first Colombian born NBA player. That that was that was one of the coolest press conferences I've been a part of. And I've been, you know, doing this for like 12 years now. So I've I've been around a lot of big press conferences and cool press conferences that might have been the most emotional. And it was just really cool. And it, it was a positive silver lining to what was a difficult time, obviously, in the league, where there were so many guys who were uh, contracting the coronavirus. But it was creating a record number of opportunities for guys to make their NBA debuts. And Jaime Eshenik being a historic player in in that nature and also just letting the emotions pour out, made for such a cool night.
0: Yeah, that's got to be cool that, like, you can carry – something with you forever and you know maybe it goes up in a museum or something i mean you know that again that's something for when you talk about a country then something such as big as the nba that's something that'll carry with you forever long after you're gone um uh, here's a good one from at birds of clay i know i asked you a little bit uh, about west earlier but has there been any word on how Brad has felt about Wes? I know at the beginning of the season, there were reports that perhaps Brad wanted Sam Cassell to get the job, but I didn't know if, if that was true, if you had any info on that, and then if there's been any word from Beal on, on how he feels about Wes.
1: Yeah, so first of all, over the summer, Brad was considering his future uh, and his options going into the draft. For a couple of reasons. One was he had a sense that Russell Westbrook was on his way out before things really kind of came to fruition and he got traded to the Lakers. And I think Brad was kind of being like, man, like we had this combination and now they're going to break it up. Like what's going on here. Also, as he's admitted publicly multiple times now, um, the Wizards took a long time to hire Wes Unsell Jr. And that process how long it took frustrated Bradley Beal. And he's admitted that on the record. Um, what I heard at the time over the summer was that Bradley Beal liked Sam Cassell, but I think what he really wanted was them to hire someone with experience. And uh, Mark Jackson is a guy who I think he liked. Um, okay. So I think I think generally Bradley Beal was a little bit frustrated with the process of hiring Wes Unsell Jr. That said, I think he likes Wes Unseld Jr. I think the Wizards you know, didn't go in the direction maybe that he wanted initially, but I do think he likes Wes Unsell Jr. I do think he's uh, he likes the direction that Wes Unsell Jr. has taken them, um, you know, at least philosophically when it comes to the defensive end. Um, obviously, things aren't going great right now, but I, I, don't, I don't see that, like, Bradley Beale is particularly frustrated with Wes Unsell Jr. I think he respects him as a person and as a coach and thinks he could be a good coach. Um, if anything, I'm sure he probably wonders, OK, well, can we win now with a guy who's who's, you know, in his first year on the job and still kind of learning how to do things? But I, I don't think there's a rift between them at this point.
0: Yeah, you know, that's interesting. And Damo can recall this, but I remember on after they hired Wes and a little bit before the season, I may or may not have said that when we got on the pod in the offseason, I think he was hired by then. Um, but I remember saying it was always weird that they say we want to win, we want to win, but um, they went and hired a rookie head coach. And it's not to say that rookie head coaches can't win, but I mean, they didn't even interview any former head coaches. They were all assistants, which again is fine. I mean, I think that when you do your time in the league, you deserve to get opportunities at some point, but I always wondered why they didn't interview guys that had, done the job before at least to get some perspective if nothing else I always thought that was a little odd. Um, Dama do you have anything for any of those questions follow-ups anything like that?
2: Yeah just on, just to piggyback on the coach point I, I always just felt like they didn't do like a retread coach just because they, they were kind of spooked by how the, the Scott Brooks situation went like if they had followed up Scott Brooks with another you know coach that was fired somewhere there, somewhere else and then brought here I think it would have been a little harder to sell to the fan base that uh, you know things were different, um, so they had to sell. I felt like they had to sell the process, and that's why it took so long. And then they ultimately picked the guy that they thought was best for the job, whether it was a first-time coach or, or, or not. Um, so I just thought I just thought that was why they didn't go. You know, retrade coach. Um, but but I did think that they would have had someone. Like a retreat coach on the staff as like a lead assistant, um, but they didn't even go that way. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm a fan of West. I think he's going to be be solid going forward. But you can you can see there are some growing pains with him being a first first year guy. Uh, but but the question I actually had uh, for Chase was just uh, just with this team this year. Like, what what do you see as their identity uh, currently, and then what do you think? It is going forward with, with Wes and Tommy. Because um, I know I've watched every game and I really don't know what they're trying to do day in, day out when they step on the floor. Like, what is it they're trying to accomplish offensively, defensively?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, you allude to it. They don't really have an identity right now. And that's kind of the problem. Um, they went into this season thinking that defense would be their identity. Um, I think they thought they'd be a better three point shooting team so that they would be a little bit more efficient, even if they slowed down or especially if they slowed down their offense and cut out some of the turnovers that obviously were a problem last year with Russell Westbrook. But they've slowed things down and they haven't been efficient and they don't make their threes. So their offense has struggled quite a bit and their defense hasn't been anything close to what we thought it was. So I think defense was supposed to be the identity and it hasn't been. Moving forward, that's what where things could get interesting because um, you know everything that the wizards say on the record and that you hear off the record is that defense is a priority. So if you go out and you get Sabonis, for instance, like he's an offense first guy, and so is Bradley Beal. So you'd have your two best players who aren't really two way guys. And you know you'd have to compensate for that in other areas, but also it would be taking you off the course that you've kind of tried to follow and go forward with. So um, it would be an interesting contrast to what their plans have been. But you know at some point it becomes a matter of just getting talent together and figuring it out afterwards. And I think the Wizards haven't done enough of that in the past. Where you know sometimes you just need to say, well, you know, screw it, let's just throw a lot on the table and and get that player and then figure it out afterwards so I think there's there's merit in it but defense I would say is the short answer like that's what they've wanted to be their identity and it hasn't been and that's what I think in their heart of hearts they'd like it to be but we'll see if they can maintain that if they pull off a move for someone like that
0: sure um Chase thanks for all the great insight today uh wish we could talk I feel like we could talk for like five hours and not get bored but (laughs) You probably don't want to talk to me for five hours. I mean, no one does. So that's okay.
1: Well, uh, it's Chase, been fun.
0: Sure. Uh, Chase, I did want to thank you for coming on again today and um, all that, answering some of the, the fans' questions and all of that. And everyone, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you are. Um, if Leave us a comment, uh, leave a like, greatest five stars, blah, 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 blah. Chase, anything you want to plug before we go?
1: Um, I would just say it's been fun and we should do it again, man. Maybe, uh, maybe later in the season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll take you up on that. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.